This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi, and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise, and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is, and what AA can do to help. And then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. 
This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So welcome to our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm an alcoholic. Can you tell us how old you are? Yes, I'm 37. Excellent. And how long have you been sober? Uh, Three years and eight and a half months. Wonderful. And um, so tell us a wee bit more about your life outside of AA. Do you you work? Do you work? Yes, I do. Uh, I work as a content editor full-time. Wonderful. And family? Yes, I've got a younger brother, two years younger. He lives uh, just down the road from me now. Oh, how lovely. And uh, my parents who live overseas. Excellent. And and where are you from? Are you from Christchurch? So I'm from uh, just outside of Christchurch, actually, um, just outside of Winchester. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, lived there for the first 10 years of my life, then moved overseas for 15 years, Wow! came back, uh, lived in Auckland for 10 years, and been back here down in Canterbury, which feels like home, uh, the last two years. Oh, wonderful. And, um, you know, an immense amount of, of, I guess, sort of moving around. Tell us a little bit about how your drinking started. So... I had what I thought was um, a relatively normal, very happy childhood. Um, I just remember feeling very happy at home. Um, I thought the world was literally butterflies, rainbows and unicorns. I just remember feeling so happy, uh, loving life. And up until probably about the age of 10 or 11, by that time, we'd moved overseas, and I started getting bullied at school. Mm. And I think that was when I first started to feel that I was quite different. Um, I didn't understand why I was being picked on. Mm-hmm. And anyway, um, I changed schools after that. I think my parents and I both thought that maybe that would help. Uh, but I was bullied even worse at the new school. And... Um, and I was bullied about my looks. I used to wear glasses and um, the kids used to call me names. And I think that really dented my self-confidence. Mm. I just felt so ugly. No one, um, you know, the popular kids didn't like me. They were the ones who made fun of me. And even though I had, you know, a tight-knit circle of about three girlfriends, um, I just remember feeling really different Mm. and uh, home was my sanctuary, you know, Mm -hmm. like, God, I'm so grateful that I didn't grow up in this day and age where there was social media Mm. uh, because (laughs) at least even though I was bullied at school, I could come home and feel safe and, um, you know, I because of the way I felt, the things I did with my friends were we went to movies or dinners, you know, I never went out to parties mm-hmm. and never experienced that until about 16, I was invited to a party mm-hmm. and I hadn't touched a drop of alcohol before then. 
and at this party I proceeded to get extremely drunk, mm. blacked out drunk. Mm. Um, it was awful and embarrassing because I remember I hooked up with someone and then I was literally crawling around the floor after him through the party where other people could see us and I remember being made fun of and um, I can't remember too much about the next day or my parents finding out or anything but um, that was my first memory of Mm. drinking and then I didn't drink again for about I think two or three years Um, I remember when I was still overseas I go out with my girlfriend out to bars and clubs when we were about 17, 18. Um, my brother and I uh, had like a little sort of side business with our friends. We would doctor our ID <laughs> uh, so we'd look of age. Uh, but for some reason, I was able to um, just have one or two drinks and mm. drive around from place to place. So, you know, I put that first experience aside to just being young and stupid Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I think that was part of the problem it was very insidious Mm. Um, and then the next time things got really bad was when um, I was basically forced to come back here for university Uh, I didn't want to come home I was in a relationship with someone my parents didn't approve of Mm -hmm. Uh, and that year uh, was literally one of the worst years of my life literally one of the worst I was away from home and had all this freedom and I think I kind of I feel like I almost made up for lost time in terms Mm. of drinking Mm. and because my self-confidence was so low um, drinking was what brought me alive you know I was very shy and introverted you know at home I was just a bookworm surrounded by books and I came back to university and it's almost like I reinvented myself. Mm. I started wearing lots of makeup. I dyed my hair blonde. And um, in that year, I had a lot of blackout mm. drinking experiences. Mm. I remember uh, my brother coming back to visit me in mid-April and I had three quarters of a bottle of vodka and passed out in the shower by, I think, about 6 p.m. that mm. night. And the next day, he had to literally pack up my room at uni because we all had to move out in between um, semester periods and I couldn't move at all and um, and we went to my aunt's house and I was feeling very mm. very wiped and I was standing there talking to my aunt and then she she told me later that all of a sudden I just collapsed I fainted and she was petrified. Mm. Um, the next thing I remember was uh, wake coming to, and there were about three other people looking at me apart from her. Apparently she'd run out of the street and said, my niece has just collapsed, I don't know what to do. And um, I feel quite emotional talking about it today because um, I, I wish I'd realised then I had a problem because, and you know, I'd... I'd that night, I ended up going out drinking again. Mm. Like, who does that after collapsing in the shower at 6 p.m. the night before and then fainting during the day because of what the hangover did to me? Um, and, and yeah, that was, that was really sad. And the rest of that year was 
lots of blacked out drinking, um, drinking a, a bottle of very cheap wine mm. in my room before I go out drinking. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think um, I was I was never um, I never drank unless I was going to go out drinking, but it was binge drinking probably about four or five times a week. Wow! And and, and tell me, did you finish university? No, so um, that year, um, after an extremely embarrassing, terrifying uh, drinking experience, I think in early December, um, I I moved back in uh, with my grandma, and then I went back overseas, and um, I started doing uh, other other work. I started doing uh, promotional work overseas, and. I basically told my parents I didn't want to go back. Mm. I felt so ashamed of some of the things that had happened that year. Mm-hmm. I felt that people were judging me, and um, and I just felt the way I had when I was I was bullied. I was like, I, I didn't understand as well how I could act a certain way during the day when I was sober and act like such a different person when I was drinking. Mm. The Jekyll and Hyde. Exactly. So, you know, we, we talk about in AA rock bottoms. What what would you say? What was it that brought you to decide this isn't okay, maybe I've got a problem, uh, and you might have known that well and truly in advance, but what was it that brought you into AA or into recovery? So I first... I was aware of AA when I was about 20, 21, when my mum suggested I go to a meeting. Wow. And when she suggested that, how did it make you feel? I thought she was being ridiculous. <laughs> okay. I, I thought AA was where um, homeless men went, basically. Okay. And I said, I think I said to her, don't be silly, mum. Um, and then when I was 25, after I'd moved back here to New Zealand, in Auckland, I remember going to another AA meeting, which was full of women, um, and just crying through mm. the whole meeting. Mm. I don't know. I think it's because I connected, mm. um, but I, I didn't go back after that. And uh, <laughs> then I just proceeded to get on with my life. Um, I thought, I thought I was, um, I was just someone who liked to binge drink. Um, I I proceeded to probably drink maybe about one or two times during the week mm-hmm. um, and then um, usually um, Friday or Saturday night on the weekend and sometimes I'd be fine. I think, I think this was the illusion that mm-hmm. stopped me getting help for so long mm-hmm. because sometimes I could go out and have just one or two that was usually just when I was meeting a friend and then there was no one available to keep drinking with. But sure. then when I was able to keep drinking, I couldn't I couldn't stop. Yep. And terrible, terrible things used to happen. And would some of those terrible things be, you know, was there any trouble with the law? So when I was overseas... Um, I was driving back from a bar, blacked out, and I came to when I crashed into um, 
like a divider between the roads and I left the car there, uh, came back the next day, it was gone. I had to find um, where, it had, where it was at a police station and I'd left um, a huge case of, I think, 24 case of beer in the boot and it was in a country where that's very frowned upon mm-hmm. and I had a couple of months of wondering, am I going to go to jail while my case basically went to court mm-hmm. and um, I was very lucky in the end. I um, I just had to pay a fine. Uh, I just wish that I'd known at the time that this was a problem and I remember one other incident that happened overseas where I woke up in the morning and I thought to myself, oh, that was such a terrible dream. I dreamt I, I, dreamt I, I crashed my car. And then I thought, huh, I wonder if I did crash my car. And then I went outside to the parking lot and there was this huge dent in it on the left-hand side. And I remember scrounging it for just to check that there wasn't any blood on the car. Mm. I mean, how awful is that to have to check that I hadn't hurt anyone? And then... I remember driving around the area um, from when I'd driven back from a party the night before just to check what I'd crashed into, mm. and I, I che- and I saw that it was a massive rubbish bin that and I these crashed are the, into. These are the things that at the time we do, but when we look back now, are not. This is not what a normal drinker does. No. <laughs> so let's get back to what took you or what brought you back into recovery. And you've got four and a, you know, nearly coming up to four years, three three and a bit years sober. What what was it that brought you into the rooms? I started to realise I had a problem when whenever I go out drinking, I black out and something terrible would happen. And when I mean terrible, I mean I'd usually wake up the next morning in a stranger's bed and not know how I got there, or I'd be quite angry and and swear at people and or I'd um I'd wake up in the morning and my chin had been split open and I didn't know mm. I didn't know how it happened and I was in a relationship at the time and um and you know I I I cheated on him every mm. time that I'd been I'd been drinking pretty much and it started to I started to feel like my soul was was dark and blackened and I started to think this is not normal this is this is not the person who I am I don't I don't act like this sober I I can't do this and I basically the week before um, I got sober I told myself if I have another binge drinking episode I'm going to come back into the rooms and then um, that Saturday night I um, I'd had a fight with my boyfriend and then went out drinking and uh, the next day woke up in a strange place and made my way back home. Uh, unbeknownst to me that night as well, I'd I'd broken my hand and um, and I came home with throbbing hand and I remember just lying there on the couch just praying to God, God, please tell me what to do. I can't I can't do this anymore. Please tell me what to do. And the thought that came into my head was get in touch with your old sponsor. Wow. Um, so because basically about um, 
a couple of years before that, when I was about 30, 31, uh, I, I went to see an addiction counsellor mm-hmm. and um, he promoted AA, which I wasn't really keen on. And I think I was sober for about two and a half months. I'd found a sponsor, uh, but I, th- I think I just wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't ready at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I also thought, I don't need AA. So I proceeded to go out of the rooms, dry drunk for six months mm. and then picked up again. Mm. Um, so anyway, going back to 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 when I uh, got sober, uh, I, uh, the, the voice said to yeah, call, get in touch with your old sponsor. And she said, uh, and I asked her, would you, would you please sponsor me again? I need help. I need to get mm-hmm. sober. And uh, she said, yes, um, go to a meeting tomorrow night. And and I did. I showed up there with um, my hand in it, like mm-hmm. a claw cast. It was so embarrassing. I felt like the scum of the earth, like the lint on someone's shoe, because everyone, you know, people, it's, it's obvious, you know, and um, I found out I'd broken my hand basically from mm. drinking that last night. And um, so tell us, since that, you know, going back into the rooms, reaching out, asking your old sponsor for help. Um, what are some of the things that you've done to maintain, you know, three and a bit years sobriety? That That is amazing. Well, I think, so I got sober on the 17th of December and uh, it's crazy thinking back now that that's when I got sober mm-hmm. because uh, summer's the time where everyone drinks and I really think that uh, having this broken hand helped me get through those first few months mm-hmm. because it's literal. You know, you wake up in the morning, you think, oh, what's that heavy thing on the end of my arm? Look, oh, yes, that happened from my last night of drinking. Um, so that was that was really good to have that. It was a constant mm-hmm. reminder. And those first few months I was... Um, I was just very careful not to associate with people mm-hmm. I used to drink with. Um, I'd take myself to the movies because there'd be a couple of hours where, you know, I, I don't have to think about everything. It's safe. I just made sure I stayed. I, I did very safe things and um, I was around safe people. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that, that really helped, I think. And sponsorship, that's that's something that's still important for you today and has really helped you in your recovery? Definitely. So um, my first sponsor was absolutely wonderful. Um, I'm actually, my, my current sponsor is moving overseas, so mm-hmm. I'm actually looking around for a sponsor at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it is really important, but I think... It's you know you've got to find the right sponsor. Mm-hmm. You know it's it's a very special relationship, and there's got to be some sort of connection. But I do believe a sponsor helps keep you on the straight mm. and narrow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, when things get tough, what are some of the things that you do that are related to the program that help you get through one day at a time? So. I'd always been quite a spiritual person Mm -hmm. and my whole life I tried all these different spiritual things (laughs) to help. I even tried Wicca at one point. (laughs) I went to India to do yoga and meditation. (laughs) And then when I got into AA, I realised 
AA is a spiritual development program I was always looking for. Yeah. Um, so meditation is a really big one for me. Um, meditation, I do sometimes feel, find tough because I've got to sit in my feelings, yeah. but I do feel my higher power God just helps bring that peace over me after a certain period of time and it's just one of the most wonderful feelings and prayer I used to I used to scoff at prayer I used to think prayer's not going to help me you know just saying a few words but it really really does I think you know I've I've I definitely struggled when I first got sober to really find that connection with God like I've that's something I've always wanted but I struggled but I feel like especially in this last year of sobriety, which has been um, probably the hardest, um, the hardest year, I've, I've really started to feel that connection because God's kept me sober mm-hmm. and the life that I have today I wouldn't have had if I didn't get sober. Wonderful. And Sarah, what would you recommend for anyone that's listening that thinks they might have a drinking problem? What could they ask themselves? I think ask themselves if it's affecting work, if it's affecting their relationships, what their financial situation is like, how do they feel about themselves. Um, also, I think the biggest thing for me, which took, you know, alcoholism or alcoholics, you know, we're, we're all different. Like some people uh, will drink every day. Some will mm. just be a binge drinker like me. But we're all alcoholics mm. because we have that alcoholic mind, mm. that crazy obsessive focus on self and um and you know meetings aren't scary they they may appear to be scary but Mm. i feel in meetings like i've found people who are like me you know if meetings exist for a reason and one of the main things that keeps me sober so yeah just come along to a meeting people very friendly you won't feel judged or put on the spot. It's just such a welcoming, warm place. Wonderful. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats again on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts and download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.